I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lanshan Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform, which I actually used during the men's race today. Finished very early. Amstel Gold Race, men and women's recaps, all in the same podcast on podcast plays, separate YouTube videos. There's a lot to talk about and dissect. There's some insane drama in the men's race as well, which frankly is some Netflix level scripting, almost this drama. But men's race first, it was back to the original parkour. It was a COVID affected parkour last year where they just did laps of, uh, I think, Kauberg, uh, Goelemerberg, and Bemelberg. They did like. <laughs> infinite laps of them and then same finish though on the Birken to Blight, whatever it is. Anyway, this is the first of the Ardennes race. It was a week early, I think, because of French elections and Paraguay was moved. Anyway, Northern European yeah. politics is beyond my remit. In the men's race, there was a few notable omissions. Because of the move date, we had no Philippe, no Roglic, no Mike Woods. So the Basque country had a lot of good punchers. We had Benoit Cosnerfois, Pete Cock, who had an underwhelming Cobble Classics campaign, MVP, of course, Dylan Turns, Kum, Madouaz, amongst others. No Polk, no Rog, and uh, yeah, that was it. It was actually very controlled, Benji, the opposite to like uh, the Omloop Classics races. Very controlled. Yes, certainly. We did have a good rider in the breakaway. Edith Schelling was in the breakaway today. I think just like previous year or something. I remember him being in the breakaway at some point in previous uh, Amstel Gold last Race. from GC Group with Van Baal. Oh, yeah, with Von Sevenon chasing I, I them down later in the race. The oh, yeah, you're right. Because perhaps he wasn't feeling good enough to hang on in the final, yeah. that being a reason. But other riders that decided to go early while Quickstep and Alpacin, no, Alpacin and Ineos were doing the controlling in the peloton was a Kampenart. And Van Hoydonk, who decided to go pretty early, which is... Not saying they went with 200 kilometers to go, but I think they went with, with about 80, 70 kilometers to go in the peloton, which means that when you do that, you're probably trying to anticipate that you won't be as good on the climbs that follow, right? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know, Campanar's getting in there as well. I was surprised. Van Hoydonk makes a lot of sense. They've got Laporte Bernard as their leaders. But yeah, I was surprised, as I said, to see guys who I would think would try their hand later in the race sort of spending their bickies early. And yeah, that break was that break was well controlled. Alperson Phoenix were controlling Ineos a little bit, mostly Alperson. MVDP after his Tour of Flanders victory, the five-star favourite. Campanats Benji. We progress into the race. Nothing's really happening. It's 90 seconds. Let's skip forward to like, I don't know, 50Ks to go. Campanats starts getting dropped on a climb by Van Hoydonk, not attacking, like just uh, maybe accelerating, yeah. but... He got started getting dropped. And I thought initially, are he and Schelling finessing each other because they've not been working? Um, but it seems to me like Kavanaugh, he's reached the end of his performance cycle and he needs a rest, I think is the clear answer, right? Yeah, I uh, I think so as well. We 
saw him drop before the last person who was in the initial breakaway dropped from Nathan von Hoedongspiel, who was the strongest rider in that group that formed ahead once they bridged towards that breakaway of the early days. And the thing is, he almost went badly into a corner there where he ended up next to a car. So perhaps he might get an email tomorrow from uh, someone's car with like a little scratch in it because he <laughs> he rode into the car. But anyway, he continued onwards. He was the last remaining survivor of the people ahead of the peloton while Ineos was showing they wanted to control the peloton and do something today. And that started like slowly but surely getting hotter and hotter at the front of the peloton with Ben Turner, arguably MVP of Ineos and Mayas for today because he started going ham in the last 45-ish kilometers on the Eiserbosberg, the Fromberg, and the Kürtenberg, the initial part at least. And once you do that, you saw 50 people drop in the span of those three hills. It's actually insane what damage he did to the peloton. And do you think that people still underrate Ben Turner, or do you think that he's already showing that he's out there and perhaps one of the top three riders when it comes to the classics on Ineos? Yeah, he's unreal. He was clock time and he's, yeah, he's so good. Pulled for, he, he strung it out. He was splitting groups. He brought back Campanarts and the whole Van Hoedonk break himself, then kept pacing. And it was unreal how much he had it in a line. Like Morich would try and move up and he's like, Jesus, I can't stay up here in the wind. Wellens, some really dumb attacks, like attacking sort of 90 kilo Ben Turner on a false flat downhill before um, like some pivotal climbs with 35Ks to go. Uh, there is, I do want a new segment, maybe not to be repeated, piss watch. Campanas pissed like five times in an hour. Seriously. So I don't know if that's related. Like, Why did you count that? that? Well, mate, I mean, uh, you, you don't really notice the first one, but when the guy's in the break and the camera's always on him because he's Belgian, even though it's in the Netherlands, um, I swear to God, pissed five times in an hour. So I don't know what's up with that. Maybe he got the uh, refueling or fueling wrong, and that's why um, he got dropped because he was carrying 10 kilos extra water in his, in his belly. But clock finished, and Ineos looked like they wanted to split this race what climb was it benji you've said i can't pronounce them today i struggle with the uh the dutch ardennes ones that kviato launched uh van bala and pidcock yeah it's one of the uh key points in amstel these days when it comes to the new parkour the curtain bed a very steep climb with roughly uh what is it 30 ish kilometers to go and it was indeed kviat that launched and at first i thought there were four Ineos riders at the front of the peloton and then Ben Turner went off the front, then we had directly Quiat with Pitcock in the wheels. So I think someone disappeared in the span of those climbs beforehand, but Quiat was the one hammering it. It did do insane damage where we went to a group of roughly 15 with that move of Quiat already. And then it wasn't necessarily Pitcock that decided to go. It was Benoit that came off the wheel of Pitcock and decided to go on the right side of the road. And he did quite some damage as well. Pitcock jumped to the wheel and everybody tried to jump to the wheel except for one person, Mathieu van der Poel, who looked to be somewhat struggling or falling back through the group in the background. Then, like, instantly on Twitter, people were shouting, oh my God, van der Poel is dropping. Oh my God. But three seconds later, we get a shot from the front Then he's in that group again. So he teleported. <laughs> I don't believe anything he does. I, I don't believe when he, I think I always, you have to assume if you're a competitor, if you don't assume MVDP's feigning weakness, then more fool you. Like he, he even did it the other day at Dwell's door. He has gotten a bit smarter, I think. And at RVV at trying to make 
other riders work. And when you've got Kung in the group, he's often more than happy to fulfill that role. Before we get into the finale of this race, mention our show partner, Zwift. During this race, in fact, I went on the Nyokyo circuit or course, which is actually really, really fun. Some little, little climbs in it as well. MVDP, you'll have seen in the Zwift, I think, Aero Socks, which he's been wearing for a while in this race if you want to check out zwift which has been huge for my training and weight loss goals in particular being able to knock out an hour when i was watching the race hugely important for me you can go to zwift.com for a free seven day trial through the link down below but we have this group there's really there's one team with multiple riders Ineos with Kwiatkowski. We it works well for a while. It does because it it's really gaps the group behind which had oh, Tratnik not really helping and uh, Van Avermaet. There's Bling, Kung, Turns very strong, Kwiatkowski, Pidcock, Van der Poel, and I'm probably missing someone. Benoit Koznefwa. and they're working well. And Asgren, but eventually. It kind of stops. And I think that was when Hirschi on Kauberg, Benji. Hirschi yep. attacked. And I think Ineos also were like, ooh, MVP could be bluffing. And so you have three options. You stop pulling completely if you're Ineos. Maybe the group behind comes back. You pull on the front with Kwiatkowski for Pitcock, for hoping for a sprint. Or you attack with Kwiatkowski um, to try and, yeah, just bait the other riders into pulling. And they went with option three, which I think was a fantastic move. Yeah, I think so as well. And the surprising part of that Hirschi move as well was where Benoit was closing down Hirschi. And I was like, Benoit, mate, the riders around you, you shouldn't be closing this. Vanderpool's in the group, two riders from Ineos in that group. Yes, he shouldn't be closing that. And then they get towards Hirschi, like you said, and Kuyat makes that move. And I thought, okay, this is a, this is a dangerous move because now cooperation will decide it and we know that cooperation in chasing groups in the last few years has uh has been notably uh missing and the fact that Pitcock is also in the group means that every single time that for example let's say Vanderpool is pulling Osgren in the wheel we've got Pitcock sitting in third wheel every time they go around then Osgren takes over from Vanderpool and after Osgren is done Pitcock takes over and just stops and as at that moment, the person behind Pitcock should be passing Pitcock and take over directly. And I think Hirschi did that at one point in this race very well. So props on that. But the rest of the group was just kind of not doing that. And as a consequence, it's not working. But someone decided to uh, counter it, right? I think Turns tried once, didn't really get there. He was marked very strong. And it was Benoit Kosnerfra who went huge gap. It was after there'd been some finessing and he bridged to Kwiatkowski easily. Now we have another rider up the road and that's really smart from him because Kung shouldn't pull. He might, but he shouldn't. Bling, I don't think Bling should pull. If I was his DS, I would have said don't pull because Mm -hmm. I just would have said that. It's really Asgren and MVDP that are going to get lent on. And MVDP did not look like he was in a mood to just pull the group for five minutes. Uh, this is a different situation to 2019, Amstel. He's got Asgren in the group. He's got Pidcock in the group. I don't know who was in his group. I'm not diminishing his 2019 win, but I am. I don't know. Did he have like Rigoberto Uran in his wheel when he won that, when he bridged across? Like It's different guys here. And so he wasn't willing to pull, maybe not in his best form. And the gap's 30 seconds, 7Ks to go. 
Cosner Frost seemingly, and then it gets to 30 seconds, Ineos tell Kwiatkowski, stop contributing too much, stop pulling. And I think that was the best way to go because not just on paper, but uh, 99% of the time, Benoit Kosnefrat, head-to-head, if they both get the same lead out, is a faster sprinter than Kwiatkowski. Uh, And they have Pidcock behind. But I think I was happy with them going to the finish, Benji, because it's not like Pidcock was in a group with he, she, and Kung. MVP is still there. Bling is still there. I still think... Even if Criado has a 30% chance, if he's sitting mm-hmm. on, that is more than Pidcock in the flat sprint, I think. I think Pidcock, I love his sprint, but still, I don't know, against the others. But what did you think Benoit should have done? I guess he had no choice but to just pull Criado with him, right? Yeah, I think so as well. Now, I do think that Criato worked a bit towards the end as well and yeah. properly pulled through and they they shared the workload a bit. And it was towards the final three kilometers where I was thinking, who should be doing what here? Like, Kuyat should definitely not try and finish uh, this race by going first into the sprint. That would be not a clever thing to do. But if you're Cosnefroy, I would also not be as confident to start it from the front with ease. So the part where I'm, like, thinking about is from 1.2k to, like, 600 meters, still keep pulling, keep pulling. But when you know you've got a decent gap with roughly 400 meters to go or 500 meters to go, something like that. I think Cosnefroy can start surplusing and so forth and play with that a bit more because we know Cosnefroy has that acceleration. Yes, Kwiatkowski has that as well, but I'd rate the acceleration of Cosnefroy higher than the one from Kwiatkowski. So if I was Cosnefroy, I'd decide to do that. But it seemed like Cosnefroy was happily leading into the sprint at a decent tempo from the front. He did slow a tiny bit. And yeah, what happened after? There was no chance of the Amstel 2019 repeat happening. MVDP had tried a couple of times. He was marked by Bling, by Pidcock, and by Asgren on at least two of the occasions. So that group stopped working. The note was chasing behind, but was over 150 metres behind them. And I think Con- uh, Benoit went too early. It was 200, <laughs> 250, maybe somewhere in between. He's just gone a bit too early with... Uh, Kwiato in his wheel. I think the fact that Kwiatkowski's had a... He's he's not beating Peter Sagan and Harold Becker, Kwiatkowski, anymore or hasn't been for the last couple of years. And I think that helped him hugely in this finish. Kosnefroy leads him out. He's got an incredible sprint, beat Alaphilippe head-to-head in the Britannia Classic sprint last year. And Kwiato comes out of his wheel, draws up to his hip, draws up to his shoulder, but he looks like he can't. He just cannot get past Kosnefroy once he's also in the wind in this long sprint. But they get to the line. Kwiatkowski bike throws. Kosnefroy doesn't. And suddenly, this is where the drama kicked off at Amstel Gold Race. Already people are like, oh, photo finish again. Benoit Kosnefroy was told on the radio before we'd seen any photo finish, he had won the race. We heard him shouting, yeah, in English, curiously. You saw him, <laughs> you saw a very a demoralized Kwiatkowski because Ineos had placed it all on him with Pidcock in the best form of this year. And suddenly we see the photo finish. It hasn't been announced yet. Nothing's been announced, but we see it on TV. Kwiatkowski had won, I'm not going to say easily, but clearly on the photo finish. It was much clearer than the Van Aert and uh, Pidcock one. 
last year. And it, the news filters through. You see Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski like barely even looked happy. He actually, it's like when uh, my wife told me, she's like, if someone said, ha-ha, or someone's like, you know, a practical joke, we're getting divorced. And then 20 minutes later, they're like, I was kidding. And you're like, ha-ha. Like he, he seemed to be like, he'd taken an immense gut punch and it didn't bring him back. And obviously, Kosnifro was crestfallen. How, who told Benoit Benji? Like, how was he told so fast? According to Sportza, the live commentary at least, it was told through Reigns Radio, which is hosted by UCI and Dutch National Federation members uh, during races. So basically, they are set to, on Reigns Radio, so to everybody, not solely to Kosnerfoy in person, that Kosnerfoy was the winner of the race. And we saw that in the reaction of Kwiatkowski instantly as well, before we saw that it was retracted when the finish photo went on the screen and it's a real shame that this happens because first of all i find it scandalous that the winner is being decided before the photo finish is being shown especially after last year last year was such a scandal in Amstel gold race when it comes to the photo finish between wout finard and tom pitcock and on the line it was not clear who won on the photo finish it wasn't even properly clear who won and then eventually it turned out that the phonish photo finish might perhaps not have been on the right place in the first place to take the photo finish. So, like, it's a shame that this happens once, and now, the second year in a row with a photo finish, there's another scandal surrounding it. And I don't know if it's the same people doing it, but at least the organization should have been, like, towards, like, the people controlling the photo finish and so forth, and the people confirming the winner on race radio, come on, let's do it right this year. And they did not. They fucked up. And ah, it hurts so much that we see Colin Frost so happy and it gets retracted just a few minutes later. And it, you said it. Kwiatkowski's reaction was not, yeah, I won. It was like, oh God, I won. And it's just a, sh- a shame for cycling, a shame for this race. And I hate it. I actually hate it. I don't. It gives us great content. Keep it coming. The more <laughs> this sport gets professionalized, the le- the less we become relevant. Um, but you're right. It's now, as people know, I'm a complete degenerate gambler. I've seen a few head bobs in my time, and the same thing happened last year. Wout van Aert hadn't got off his bike. I put this on Twitter because I remember at the time he hadn't slowed down and gotten off his bike before he was told he won the race last year. And you cannot tell from the naked eye, um, especially the Pidcock Wild Van Art one, cannot tell from the naked eye. This one, Quiato, his bike throw was very, very good and Benoit barely threw. And they called Benoit, I was like, Oh, that's, I think he's got that yeah. bobble throw right. How have they told him so fast? And so that's not necessarily on the photo finish operator. That might take a couple of minutes to feed through or whatever. Yep. That might be on the, the radio person. Now, there's no indication that I've seen that the photo finish here wasn't set up uh, correctly. I'm obviously uh, fully in on the conspiracy of the photo finish last year, completely yep. in that Pidcock was robbed. And at the very least, we don't know who won. And I think, I don't think we know who won that race. There's Luke uh, on the Flamme Rouge at the time did a long thread about how the photo finish, the photo was actually 25 centimeters before where the finish line actually was. So we don't know who won. 
But in this occasion, Benji, I think it is clear Kwiatkowski won, uh, which is the least better. But yeah, yeah. what like what what else can change like what would you do if your age are too well you just be like well thanks guys that sucks well i think in this situation thanks guys that sucks is probably the answer that's that's happening because the right winner was selected if the photo finish was indeed placed correctly which i haven't done research for nor am i planning to because i can't be fucked to do so but it's so sad that something that is so important in the sport getting over the finish line first finding who came over the finish line first. It's such a difficult process. And I've spoken to people in the sport and people who just retired from the sport in the last year, also people that are now organizing bigger races, and they even can't wrap their head around how Amstel Gold Race bottled this. Although they have said that in the past, certain uh, DSs and so forth I've spoken to have said, well, probably at some point in my life, one of my riders was definitely robbed when it comes to the photo finish. And if that is a thought that is in the head, of a DS, sure, they might be biased for certain, but if that is something that is uncertain, then there's something wrong about the process. Now, I'm not a genius. I know how photo finishes are taken and so forth. I don't know why a photo finish is allowed to be X amount of centimeters before the finish and after the finish, according to the UCI rules, which I checked last year, which is a weird thing. Probably it has its reasons, but with some explanation, I probably understand. But it's such a, yeah, if, if it's not trustable, it's annoying, and it's such an important factor to sports, knowing who finishes first. I don't have any sympathy for Cosner Um I don't <laughs> think he was in a skin suit or speed suit. I think he was in normal jersey. Um, this is just another reminder. I know that just because Julian Alaphilippe won the world champs with jersey unzipped doesn't mean that riders lose races and positions every single week even in big races like this, because they do not have aerodynamic basics optimized. Um, so I don't know. I, but you look at, I'm trying to look at MVP. I know P, uh, Criato, I think, was in a suit. MVP, maybe, maybe not, probably. But yeah, just when guys go to the off-season, they should just look at the Cosner for a loss here, look at the lost earnings, the lost bonus, and be like, I just got to go get some some free speed somewhere for amateurs spending X amount on X, Y, Z to go 30 Ks an hour instead of 29. Who cares? But this, anyway, just another thought on that, but I should do the top 10. Kwiatkowski wins Amstel gold race. I, I was, I was actually stoked for Kwiatkowski. I love Benoit Kosnefwa, but I was very, very happy that Kwiato won uh, just because I don't know. That, that's a conversation for another day, but I think the Kwiatkowski in prison thing is a bit, actually a bit overrated. That's his second Amstel Gold seven years after winning in 2015 to add to Milano Sanremo and World Champs. Uh, second Benoit, Benoit attacked for third. MVP won the bunch sprint for fourth ahead of Alex and a camp. Fifth ahead of his Danish compatriot, Alex Asgren, Matthews, Kung, Hirschi, and Dylan Turns, tenth. So, yeah. Perfect tactics from Ineos, it must be said. Like, just, yep. they were flawless today, Benji. And I think clock, as you said, was a big part of that. Yeah, Ben Turner was the MVP for me today. Certainly Kwiatkowski as well, and Cosmo and so forth. But the person that is probably not getting the attention they deserve is Ben Turner now in the team. He'll probably get uh, some happier faces towards him. But uh, I also want to mention, you spoke about Alexander Kamp getting fifth. This is probably his best result in his entire career. He was quite promising as this 
guy that could get over cobble bergs that was getting over hills in some fashion and had a bit of a kick at the end of races and to be able to get a result like this he's now 28 which is a bit late but hopefully it can bring him some more in the future so that's that's pretty cool to see and he beat asgreen so yeah pretty awesome now i was hyped about asgreen when it comes to amstel i'm glad that he delivered i was hoping that he'd do a bit better than six to be honest because that would have been cool to uh look back on for him after this uh pretty poor quick step cobble season but in all honesty this was uh I dare to say I enjoyed this race more than last year because last year was a bit meh knowing that the parkour was one of those uh, uh, COVID circuit thingies that they build especially because they couldn't do the full parkour. Yeah, this was good. It opened up. It's not uh, wall-to-wall action for three hours, but yeah, it was good. And I think Ineos, Ineos will certainly be happy to start off their Ardennes campaign like this. Liège with Pidcock and Kwiatkowski, Van Baal, etc. will be looking dangerous. Flesh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Pidcock can win Flesh, but he was out of position last year. Maybe, maybe. But he's looking he's much, looking much, much better than he was uh, the other day. MVP, hard to know. Maybe a bit of an off day, but still very, very good. Roubaix next weekend. So weird. So weird going from RVV to Amstel, then uh, Roubaix. But that was yeah. the men's race. Oh, sorry. Go on, Benji. Yeah, you're right. And also Brabant's, I think, on Wednesday as well. So yeah. it's it's weird, the transition that we've got going on. But in all honesty, I think it's... Uh, I can't complain about having Amstel this week and uh, having a bit of a space between RVV and Roubaix this year. But I guess we're going over to uh, the other race that was on today, right? Amstel Gold women's race earlier on in the day, 124Ks from Maastricht to Bergen to Blight finish. They have the Kauberg Crest 2Ks from the finish, 600 meters, 8.5%. We have Annemiek van Vleuten here. SD Works have Blanca Vash starting her first race of the year with Vollering Royce of Underbrook Black Mulman, Nee Fisher Black, probably the strongest, I would say, the strongest all around team. Uh, Canyon Shrap have got Shabby, Royakas Paladin to help Nivia Doma reinforcements uh, that she didn't have last year. No Mariana Voss, she skipped it. So their leader was Lebecki going probably hopefully over a sprint. Chapman, Brown and Ludwig could not start for FDJ. So it was Martika Valley, clear leader today. And unlike the men's race, this opened up very, very early, right, Benji? Yes, certainly. I think I started watching on NOS, which is like the Dutch live stream online. And that was with about 75 kilometers to go on a geo-blocked website. But nonetheless, the action was already kicking off instantly with a group that got away because Von Vleuten was apparently attacking very early on on the Ezerbosweg and so forth and the Fromberg very early on in the race, which is with 80 kilometers to go. So that is very far from the finish line, and that's not on the uh, Kauberg circuit yet. And that group had four riders from SD Works. Blanca Vash, unfortunately, not in that group, but we certainly saw strong riders that included the likes of a Volring, the likes of a Reuser, for example, and a Molman. And it kept going on because they went towards the uh, hardest climb on the parkour of Amstel that we mentioned in our men's preview as well, the Kürtenberg. And... That one lit it up completely in that group. And it was Van Vleuten once again from the bottom of the Kurtenberg to the top of the Kurtenberg signature move. And she hammered that climb completely. What was left over at the top? Three riders only with 70 kilometers to go. And that included Van Vleuten, Nivia Doma and Volring. 
all the rest out of sight. So in the span of 10 kilometers, we went from 4v1, 4SD Works Riders versus 1 Van Vleuten, to 1v1v1, which is Van Vleuten if you don't mind Volring. So SD Works probably wasn't too happy with the situation there. Nonetheless, Volring kept on pacing with Van Vleuten, which was a bit of a surprise to me because I was like, okay, they want their numeric value here. But eventually, this three women group got a bit of a gap, like 15 to 20 seconds on, then a peloton that formed behind, and it was Van Dijk that lit it up again behind, bridged with a few riders, Leona Lippert, Chantal Black, we had Henderson, and uh, I think someone else that I just forgot to mention, no, that's it, that's it, that's a seven-women group, 30 seconds on that peloton group, and does it surprise you that Annemiek van Vleuten decides to go with 80 kilometers to go, knowing that there's so many hills towards the end as well? No, because she's probably worried about being ganged up on at the end. She's like, let's make this one-on-one-on-one-on-one and dispense with all the domestiques. She's been worked by SD Works in multiple races. Omloop, where she still won. Strata, she didn't win. Quebecy won. And then RVV, she got worked by SD Works. So I think she's like, we've got more hills here. I'm the strongest on the hills. Let's use all of them and dispense with them. But... She just couldn't keep it up. And I wonder, like, she does have Sierra here. I reckon she should trust Sierra maybe a little bit more, who's fast, a fast finisher. Um, I ended up asking to the, uh, to the DS of the team of Movistar what the reasoning was behind, like, sending Van Vleuten up the road that instantly from the start of those hills. And apparently it was because they were planning to do some kind of lead-out, but it didn't work out, and therefore she went herself. So perhaps positioning was an issue or something like that. But in the peloton behind, we had a crash, including Sierra and Alrud, who then uh, led to Alrud, I think, getting out of the race with, I think, a clavicle. What's it called again in English? Uh, shoulder, not shoulder blade, but uh, what's collarbone. it called? Oh. Collarbone. Yes, collarbone. <laughs> How can I forget it is, that? It is a clavicle, isn't it? Isn't it's, that your I think clavicle as well? I have got no clue. But mm. anyway... I don't care. Uh, we went onwards with the race and that front group eventually got caught after Santesteban uh, San decided to bridge it solo and then eventually that group got caught anyway. And we went into the uh, three or four uh, Kauberg circuits towards the end. So uh, things were looking like the Kauberg circus was going to be deciding the race here as the peloton was formed back together. And it was kind of surprising that they came to that first Kauberg still with the group intact at the front and Flanfelotten didn't attack or anything. It was like, she went on those earlier climbs and then decided to not attack on the ones after. And I think that gives an opportunity for others to recover. But again, that group got caught anyway. And we went to a proper peloton until some other outsiders decided to attack. Like, was it Paulina Royakers? So Canyon Shram, as I said, I made a point of mentioning those reinforcements earlier. Last year in these races, we saw throughout the Ardennes Classics, these same riders, when they were on live, Really strong getting into breaks deep on the race. Paladin, Ruyakas has won Emilia or seconded Emilia, a very strong hilly racer. So they're now on Canyon Shram and Nivia Doma, instead of having theoretically to close every move, she can send riders up the road, sit in moves, sit in the wheels rather, and put pressure on the other teams to chase. And it worked for a while. But I still think the positioning was a bit of an issue. But yeah, that group went, even a group Benji with Van Dijk. And they had Balsamo in the group. No longer Borghini, I don't think here. There was that, yeah, that group went, then it stopped. Um, but it was really, it, this race was all about, like last year, last Cowboy. 
it was going to yep. all be about Lars Carberg. And yeah, I think I think Nuviadomo's positioning wasn't perfect going into it. We, you called it like you knew exactly what was going to happen at the bottom. You knew. Yeah, the signature move of Van Vleuten that she did on the Kurtenberg and last year on the uh, Kauberg. And I think also in the, what was it, the World Championship, she decided to do a uh, a all-out move on, uh, I think there was a World Championships in the Netherlands at some point in the last few years. And I remember there being a Kauberg in there. And I remember that Van Vleuten did something on that. But I could be wrong in that. Nonetheless, we uh, saw that she did that signature move from the bottom to the top just after we saw also the kilometers of the race just going up. So I don't know what happened there, but suddenly we had more kilometers in the race according to the ticker on the left top. But hey, that move of Van Leuten happened then. Did you think that was going to do damage or were there people directly on the wheel? Always on the wheel. I didn't think... She doesn't seem to be superior enough compared to other years. Maybe the race wasn't hard enough where I'm like, she'll just run away from a 30-woman group on Carver. I really didn't see it. She was marked by Nuvia Doma. Lippert was there with a teammate, Florchin Mackay. There was Mulman, Vollering for SD Works. So, yeah, I just didn't see it. She she kind of kept pulling, but no one really counted. And I thought Benji, I was expecting Nuvia Doma to launch it, and she didn't. I don't know if she was not as fast as last year. Last year's Cowberg, she was nuclear. Um, but, yeah, she she didn't launch. She can't win this final sprint. And we get to the top, and it's very similar to last year. Well, yeah, sort of similar. We have SD Works this time in the front group. They have Mulman, Vollering. Vollering's the quicker sprinter. There's Van Vleuten, Martika Valley. Who else? Nivea Lippert. And immediately I'm thinking Benji... Mulman should just pull, right? Just pull for a sprint, and Volering's probably going to be like 40 to 50% chance to win the sprint. Yep, I dare to say certainly. And I was expecting that to happen as she moved to the front on the left side of that group. And then suddenly she decided to like look to the right, perhaps looking at Volering or at Von Vleuten to see if anybody's attacking there. But at that same exact time, on the left side, Marta Cavalli decides to launch it, and apparently her DS shouted in her ears, yes, money time, it's time to go, give it your everything. And she went on the left side, and Mulman turned her head, and she already had a gap. So, a late response, and it looked to me like it wasn't all out from the start when it comes to Mulman, or do you think that she was empty? Maybe she was tired, and that's why she wasn't pulling initially. The problem, as you said, was... She was looking the wrong way. Vollering was even pointing up the road with with Mormon's <laughs> head turned around as Cavalli went in front of her and she lost those five bike lengths straight away. Um, but yeah, it's AVV then didn't want to respond because she's got Vollering in the wheel and it was just perfect for Marta Cavalli. Perfect timing. She got a huge gap. And like Mavi Garcia is here as well. Uh, Nuvia Dome is not going to pull Lippert. It's it's all on Mulman. And so you basically, even though it's a group of seven chasing, it's really Marta Cavalli against Mulman. And Mulman's really, really tired. And she ends up soloing away, winning Amstel easily by like, if you don't include her post up, like six, seven, eight second gap with the cowwork that close to the finish. Vollering won the sprint for second. She was very, very frustrated at the finish. Lippert third, Van Vleuten fourth, Nuvidoma, Mavi Garcia, Mulman seventh, Balsamo eighth, beat in the third group, beating 
Lebecki and Bertit Solo. But Cavalli Benji, our free our free Cavalli campaign has reached its conclusion. She was free today. Yeah, certainly. And it's partially due to the fact that the Trupleurwijk couldn't start this race due to the, uh, I think, loads of illnesses in the FDJ camp these days with Chapman and Svelte, with Brown out of his race as well. So three riders gone there and Cavalli is the lone leader here. And we've said quite a few times in the past when it comes to FDJ that when Utrup Ludwig and Cavalli are both in a smaller group that gets away, they don't tend to work well together. And I dare to say if Utrup Ludwig is in this race, then Cavalli probably has a little chance of winning this race. That's my personal opinion on this. Do you think that I'm exaggerating? Well, it depends. Like, would they both be like, well, one of us should lead out the other for the sprint? Would they roll attacks? Would Cavalli have been used to position her? I mm-hmm. don't know. It all depends on... I think the answer is, yeah, this was better for Cavalli, just being able to go incredible. She was in leg warmers and arm warmers in this race. Very, very, very very odd. Um, But she is the biggest win of her career. She's won three. This is her third win. She hasn't won since 2019, which just doesn't make sense. Like, she's 24 years old with that sort of kick, strong enough to win Amstel. How has she not won any race? Never won a World Tour race. That was like a that was a two two race. Uh, it was against Paladin, like, and then she won the World yeah. Champs back in twenty eighteen when she was like twenty. Yeah, but as a as a FDG fan, I can say that I am. As I said it on the FDG preview podcast, that this is my favorite team because they're outsiders in all the races that they start. I feel like their tactics just aren't great in most of the races they ride. And I think that's partially a factor into the fact that they don't win as much as they probably could win. And perhaps I'm exaggerating that based on a few instances, but I feel like I've said this like 15 times in the last two years on this podcast, that something at FDJ went wrong in a group that they didn't work together or they didn't play into uh, having numerical value outnumbering the others in that group. But hey, that's something. But I want to throw something different at you. I want to think about something that I came up with towards the end of this race. Sierra fell basically with 60k to go, but towards the end she was part of an attack that went pretty far into the final, then got caught again in the uh, before the final Kauberg. Do you think that Sierra is the kind of rider where she can climb quite well and has a kick afterwards? Does Movistar have a problem where they rely too much on having Von Vleuten as solo leader and therefore impact the chances of the other riders on their team. For example, in the couple races, SD Works wants a shorter race, like an easier race. If Von um, Vleuten doesn't go ham, Norsgaard can probably follow. On this race, if Von Vleuten doesn't go ham, can't Sierra compete for the win at this race? Yeah, like Sierra is very, very fast sprint. She came, she won the bunch sprint, I think. Well, she was fourth at Flanders. Didn't she put him in Emilia or win Emilia? Uh, so the hill, the hill qualities are there certainly for for Sierra. Am I right in that or am I inventing that she did well at Emilia last season or the year before? Second at Giro dell'Emilia last year, winning Trivoli Varesina. Yes, Emilia didn't have the best start list there, but this means that she can get up a decently sized climb that is relatively steep. That's 2.1 kilometers at 9.4% the San Luca climb. So I'm saying that Movistar can win this race with Sierra if they don't go all out with Favleuten. 
I don't really think, I mean, AVV mythical talent or mythical worker rather, um, I don't really think like tactics-wise she's had to really think about that for the last five or seven years. It's If you're that much stronger than everyone, she hasn't really had to think about it. She's mainly been like, okay, I have teammates, so they pull back the breakaway and then set me up to attack whenever I feel like it and then I'll just win. Um, so, yeah, I don't think... I think they do need to have some sort of second threat. If that she can't, she's like losing a lot of races where SD works have three in the final and they're just going to roll her and then people aren't working with her. So yeah, difficult for ABV Sierra might be the answer. Unreal rider. Um, in this case, I don't know. Will AV, could you imagine AVV going on the front of that group and pacing it for Sierra to win the sprint, Benji? I, will, I just can never She'd see never that. Do She'd never do it. She'd never do it. She'd never do it. And dynamic-wise in the team as well, there was this documentary that they made based on, I think, Umlop, where they were all sitting on a bed talking about what they wanted from the race, and Norsgaard is sitting in the back, and obviously Norsgaard doesn't want a hard race in Umlop. She wants to get over the climb and so forth and do it that way, but then you have Van Vleuten that shouting, I want the hardest race as possible. Everybody needs to hammer it. I need to fly up the Umlop uh, on the mood of, of Gerard's bed in there. And, like, that counters each other. Like. I genuinely think that Movistar has an issue where they could win more races if they thought about their leadership in oh, certain well, races. Norsgaard and AVV pairing doesn't work. That pairing yeah. just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and Sierra's kind of a similar rider. So, yeah, I see what you mean. Like, Norsgaard, like, good luck her getting to a final sprint if the race has been blown apart so early. But, yeah, that was women's Amstel gold race. Um, huge win for Martika Valley and yeah I think following second two years in a row this one will be much 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 more frustrating than the one last year where Voss just toasted her she's not doing Paru Bay following she's just doing the Ardennes classics and we of course have women's Bay next Saturday it's on its own day which is my preference uh, so we'll have a preview for that, of course, as well as recaps. I'll have highlights videos. Got Brabantz will recap on Wednesday. Again, we'd have Brabantz bailed <laughs> a few days before Parry Bay, but it is what it is. Uh, I haven't, haven't seen the start list. Do you know who's doing it? Uh, Brabantz Appel, probably Cosnefry again, I guess. He uh, yeah. tends to do it every year. And I think it's actually a, a pretty decent start list. Isn't like Avonapool doing it as well? Because he couldn't do the yep. other thing? And yeah. Jala. Ooh, that's, that's a good start as well. Yeah. Yeah, Bidcock. Okay, that's really good. Yeah. All right, we'll be covering that on Wednesday. Thanks, as always, for listening to our Amstel Gold Race recap, and we'll uh, we'll have a couple of days off. We'll treat ourselves, and then we'll see you then. Thanks to Zwift, as always, for supporting the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. Ciao.